look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, a special edition of the Peter King Podcast, our draft edition. So if you listen to this podcast Friday or Saturday this week, you're going to know the answers to the test. And I'm sorry about that, but I want you to be listening this week on Wednesday and, you know, the first half of Thursday, because I'm going to get you ready for the draft with two really, really smart guys, Peter Schrager of Good Morning Football and Fox Sports, and Jeff Legwald, writer for ESPN.com, covers the Denver Broncos, but I'm having him on the show because he does the most impressive list in our sports writing business, in my opinion, of the top 100 players. He ranks them. You know, in 2000. 18. He had 85 of the top 100. And the reason that that's a good, good score is because once you get down into the 60s and 70s and 80s, so many players are rated, you know, 61st on some board and 161st on others. So I'm going to have Jeff Legwald on and we're going to talk about the strengths, weaknesses, and what to expect especially in the first three rounds of the 2019 NFL Draft. But before we start, a few words on the blockbuster trade that occurred on Tuesday in the National Football League. The Seattle Seahawks traded defensive end Frank Clark, a 25-year-old pass rusher with big upside, to the Kansas City Chiefs for the 29th pick in this draft, for a second round pick in 2020, and the two teams agreed to swap third round picks this year. Now, I predicted in my mock draft on Monday at NBCSports.com, my football morning in America column, I predicted that Frank Clark would be traded by Seattle to Kansas City. And I'm still actually taking bows here at my studio in New York as I tape this. But I think a lot of people knew that there was some smoke there. Um, But one of the reasons and one of the things I want to talk about is what exactly this trade says to me. And it says to me that Andy Reid, the close but no cigar, always a bridesmaid, never a bride guy, the coach of the Chiefs, former coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, who has never won the big one. This is going to give him the best opportunity in 2019 to win the big one. He needed an edge rusher in the worst way after letting D. Ford go to the San Francisco 49ers, um, you know, obviously recently. And you're going to ask a bunch of questions about this, but I want to preemptively tell you why I think Andy Reid is all in for 2019. It's because Frank Clark does not come without risk. They're paying him $21 million a year. Uh, they're, they're denuding 
their draft this year. They're not going to be picking until uh, late in the second round now, and they have some definite needs. And they've given away their second round pick next year, so most likely they will only have one pick in the first two rounds next year. So why did they do this? I believe it's because Andy Reid knows that he has a team that has one major weakness, and that's the pass rush. Now, he obviously needs corner help. This is the kind of draft where you can get a cornerback who can start for your team late in the second round. There's great depth at cornerback in this draft, and I'm sure that, uh, barring a big surprise, that's where the Chiefs will go in the second round, unless Patrick Peterson comes free from the Arizona Cardinals. But let's just look at two reasons why this trade makes sense for the Kansas City Chiefs. One is that uh, they did not really love D. Ford long-term. Uh, D. Ford had a good, a very good year in 2018. Frank Clark has had the last two years, two and a half years really, have been very good years in Seattle. He's proven to be more of a consistent threat around the edge, very physical, angry player uh, at times. So I think they really liked uh, that part of his game. And I think number two is, look, They've had some problems in Kansas City. They had to let go, obviously, as, as, as everybody here knows, they've had major problems with their players and domestic abuse. They had to let the NFC, the NFL rushing champion, obviously go, uh, you know, after, uh, you know, an incident in 2018. And then Tyreek Hill right now um, is being investigated uh, for possible child abuse, and we do not know where that's going to end up. So for this team now to take a chance on Frank Clark, who uh, before uh, he left college was investigated for uh, a domestic violence uh, incident uh, that was quite serious. And so the Chiefs basically are, are pushing their chips to the middle of the table and saying we're willing to take a risk both contractually and in our community by bringing in a guy who's had experience with domestic violence. So this shows the Chiefs are all in this year. Let's say two things about the Seattle Seahawks. I think that even though the Seahawks are left with a big gap now at, you know, at pass rusher, just remember the Seahawks have to, have to re-sign Bobby Wagner he is the nerve center of their defense, the guy who they have chosen to build their defense around for the next couple of years at least. Even though he's 29 years old, they want him to be their guy for as long as he can play at a high level. I think either before this year or during this year, soon after this year, he will get re-signed and he's going to cost a lot of money. And I just think there's a limit after you pay your quarterback an average of $35 million a year. There's a limit to how much money you want to give, especially to stars who basically have an expiration date like Bobby Wagner does. So I think that really gave them pause. Do we want another $20 million player to eat up a bunch of our cap space? That's number one. Number two, the Seahawks had only uh, four picks in this draft. Now, by having 21 
and 29. It gives them the ability to either sit here and take these, take players with these picks, or to turn at least one of these picks into more picks. John Schneider never met a trade he didn't like. As I've said many times, John Schneider would rather trade than breathe. And so as you look at this situation right now, it's very understandable why Seattle did it. And it shows why the Kansas City Chiefs have the Super Bowl Express rolling in Kansas City. And I think this was the last piece, major piece, to their puzzle to try to dethrone the New England Patriots. And now my conversation with Peter Schrager of Good Morning Football. Back on the Peter King Podcast, so happy to be joined on Draft Eve by Peter Schrager of Good Morning Football and Fox Sports. Uh, Peter, I started this podcast uh, with my opinion and my take on the Frank Clark trade, uh, which we had kind of seen coming. I mocked it in my mock draft on uh, on Monday, but I I I had I had a lot of reservation over the weekend in putting this in here because of Kareem Hunt and Tyreek Hill and because of the history of Frank Clark. And what this tells me, what I said at the top, is that it really shows me that Andy Reid is in it, is all in, in 2019 to try to win everything. He's tired of being a bridesmaid. So give me your take on the meaning of this deal. It was a haul, and they gave up a lot. But you know what? Brett Veach, the GM, is as much to talk about as Andy Reid. And this Brett Veach is a riverboat gambler. At the owners' meetings, I saw him in March, and I said, wow, you guys had a bloodletting at defense. All these guys left. We're not done. We're not done. Just wait. And I honestly thought, Peter, between us, that they were going to be making a big swing at Demarcus Lawrence, the Cowboys pass rusher. That deal comes through on a Friday night, and I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. Who's left? Sure enough, Frank Clark's the guy, but you look at the contracts. Okay, you take aside all the stuff with off the field because that is a genuine concern. If you want to say they're biting their they're telling them they're rolling the dice on that, okay, fine. But just look at the contracts that are coming up for them. Mahomes is going to be the highest-paid quarterback in the league in two years. They're going to have to pay him. Tyreek Hill is going to be one of the highest-paid wide receivers. Chris Jones is going to be one of the highest. If they pay Tyreek Hill, though. Sure, yeah. sure. And if you talk to the Chiefs guys, they – they are not unfazed. They are concerned for sure about whatever might come, but they are moving right along, and Tyreek Hill is part of the plan and part of the picture. So they are full steam ahead, and, you know, they, they fired Bob Sutton, and they hired Spagnolo and they brought in Honey Badger, and they got rid of Barry and Houston, two leaders. Um, but at the end of the day, I think their defense is better today than it was when they lost that AFC Championship game. Oh, I think it is, too, no question about it. But I will say this. One of the reasons that made this trade so vital for the Kansas City Chiefs is because, essentially, in the last 18 months, they've lost any the, the semblance any semblance of pass rush because of losing uh, Tom Bahali, D. Ford, and Justin Houston. So, you know, they almost always they almost. Uh, they they almost had to take a swing for the fences, don't you think? Yeah, and Peter, I would I would argue they've lost every close game because of a lack of pass rush and because of the defense. You know, we go through those Sunday night and Thursday night games that Mahomes are so magnificent in, and you think about that Patriots Sunday night game, they lost that game. You go through the Rams Monday night game, they lost that game and give up 54 points. Now, I know there was a couple pick sixes in there, but 
it's not, you know, I know Barry and Ali and Houston. These are great names and great guys for the league, but this was one of the worst defenses in the league last year. And sometimes you just have to start anew and you have to get rid of the old and in with the new. And you're right. They're going go for broke right now. And character stuff aside, they are all in on this. Um, so as we sit here, we're recording this late Tuesday afternoon. It will drop on Wednesday morning. Um, there's some really wild rumors going on out there right now, and I wonder which one of these wild rumors do you believe that, A, the Cardinals will not take Kyler Murray, number one. Number two, the Raiders are planning, uh, as Ian Rappaport reported, some perhaps some wild thing to happen at number four. Uh, and I guess any of these other quarterback things for these quarterbacks to be dropping the way many people, as I had in my mock, I had them dropping. But just give me your thought on what you believe is some of the crazy stuff that could happen on Thursday. See, I feel like you and I are both pretty plugged in because I read your mock draft Monday morning and I, I caught myself nodding a bunch on some of the insight that you've had. And Albert Breer had some good stuff in his. I read the guys. You know, I don't, I'm never going to question Ian's reporting. So I won't say that that stuff is just smoke, but you have to be careful because it is lying season and we've all been duped. And I got duped two years ago or three years ago when I was told by a source I really trusted one of the teams that Connor Cook would not escape the first round and he was a fourth round pick. So you have to be careful with all of these things. Now, I've been saying since Kingsbury took the job that Murray's going number one. I have no reason to believe Murray will not go number one. The Ian Rappaport thing with the Raiders is fascinating to me. I, I, the one thing I heard that yeah, it would really shake the world up and would make sense if they were to go this way, considering the, the stuff they did with the scouts this weekend, is that they, they really had a good interview with Dwayne Haskins. Now, do I think that's going to happen? I don't. In the end, I think they're going to take best player available. They're going to go defense. But I did hear from a very good source that Haskins blew them away. And as much as they love Murray and Murray's great, Haskins really left a good impression on the coaches, too, in the interview. I don't know what that means about the workout or if they'd actually take him at four overall, but if there was to be a big shocker, it would be something with the quarterback position. To me, though, Peter, honestly, I think we're going Murray one, and then we're going defense, 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 right through the Giants at six. Yeah, and then uh, do you think – okay, so let's go over the quarterbacks right now. Uh, logical landing spots. Let's talk Haskins. I gave him to Washington. Who do you give him to? I think I'm going to do the same. Although in recent hours slash days, I've heard they really like Daniel Jones also. Um, I don't know if that's at 15 or if they have to trade up and jockey to get one of those two guys, but I'm going to, I'm going to straddle that one. I'm going to say it's either going to be Haskins or Daniel Jones. If they take a quarterback, I know that's a safe, uh, safe assumption. Uh, you guys. Let's go uh, Drew Locke, who I had slipping down into the first round. Where do you like him? I've had people tell me Drew Locke can go as high as six to the Giants or be a mid-second round pick. He's the one yeah. prospect in this draft I have no feel for, really no feel for it. And a lot of teams are down on Drew Locke, but a few are really high on Drew Locke. Those few teams that I've talked to, though, don't need quarterbacks. So to me, he's your classic slips maybe to 15, 16, 17, 18, and a team trades into the first round or trades back to get him and takes him, but he's not your starter day one, despite the fact he had a wonderful combine and has worked out really well with teams. I kept trying to figure out Drew Locke 
and I kept. I don't know where I, to put them. I kept asking everybody. Well, let let me ask you this. I'll tell you my Drew Locke opinion in a minute, but I want to hear Daniel Jones and you. Daniel Jones has had really good interviews, and the people who are close with him swear by him. And apparently, he is the safest of the quarterbacks. As crazy as that sounds, a Duke quarterback. But you are getting what you are getting in the. He was a senior bowl MVP. Everyone seems to like him. Likeable dude. I think it's either Redskins or the Giants maneuver and find a way to take him either at 17 or they move back a little bit and get him if he's sitting on the board. I, I don't know what I'm going to do because I do my mock draft tonight, and you and I both, we labor over this thing. I hate doing it. I hate it like a fashion, and yet I do it because it's just something we got to do. And once it's out there, it feels like this giant thing off our back, and I don't know where to put Daniel Jones – Drew Locke, or Dwayne Haskins. I think the Redskins get one of these guys when it's all said and done. I just don't know about those other two. I do think they go in the first round. There's only one really weird thing that I th- that I believe strongly is going to happen. I don't know what team it's going to be, but there is going to be a team in the top 20 that I was told is going to take a quarterback who no one expects will take a quarterback. Oh, see, I love that. that I, see, I love that pick? too, but today... <laughs> Uh, after, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody today who said, you know, I liked your mock draft. He said, I wish you had taken a chance on one of the quarterbacks. I said, what do you mean? And he goes, I'm just telling you that I, I know that there's going to be any, and he just told me what I just said. And this is yeah. somebody who is rarely wrong. And so I said, wow, so, interesting. We all have those guys, right? Like there's, I've got a few people and mine, mine told me Will Greer's the name. Will Greer's the guy that everyone's talking about. Yeah, would you give me a clue who, who you know, what team is going to take a quarterback? He said, no, I really can't. But anyway, we'll see. That could also be just pish posh. But I want to tell you, <laughs> I want to tell you, like, I, I have the Giants taking Daniel Jones. I just think everything is too neat, too cool. David Cutcliffe with Peyton Manning really being his godfather through this process. Peyton Manning loves Daniel Jones. How ironic would it be if Peyton Manning helped convince the New York Giants to take his brother's successor? I Is mean, that not hilarious? would that it be one mean... incredible story? I don't know that it's going to happen, but if it does happen, it would be pretty cool. Um, and, no, and look, I might be, I'm going to say one thing. I, I might be over my skis with like yeah. knowing the agent world and all that stuff. Tom Condon represents Eli and Peyton Manning and has for years. He also represents Drew Locke. So wow. all the stuff about Cutcliffe and Peyton, like Drew Locke is also Condon's number one client yeah. in his draft. And I would be careful with everyone assuming Peyton and Eli are pushing for Daniel Jones because, you know, there's a tight relationship there as well. That's a, it's, a, it's an excellent, excellent point. But um, let, me, let me tell you my theory on Drew Locke, Okay. I had some perplexing things to work through over the weekend, and I'm sure that, you know, first of all, every mock gets blown out of the water within an hour, and it all becomes ridiculous, and you, and you crumple it up and throw it into the, into the can. But here's the one thing about my mock draft that I just simply couldn't figure out. I kept thinking, where am I putting Drew Locke? Who am I giving him to? Everybody kept saying, give him to Denver. I will be shocked if Denver takes a quarterback at number 10. After what Joe Flacco has been talking about, after what Elway told Flacco, after how Elway has talked up Flacco, I don't see how he looks Joe Flacco in the eye at all if he drafts Drew Locke at number 10. Now, I do see a scenario 
whereby late in the first round, either, you know, 29 where Seattle is now or 31 where the Rams are now, both teams would love to move back a few spots and pick up a pick before pick number, say, 105. Okay, because sure. that's where uh, there are starters in this draft all the way through 100, no question about it. So I kind of look at this and say, what if Denver were to give a two this year and their two next year to move up, say, 10 spots if Drew Locke is there at 31? That's all I can figure out. I kept saying, I can't do this first round without Drew Locke, can I? So that's what I no. ended up doing. The- give me your theory. I've been told from people I trust that Denver, not quarterback at 10, and Cincinnati, happy with Andy Dalton, not going quarterback at 11. That really puts right. things into a mess. Then you get to 13, and I'm told that Miami's not going to swing for a quarterback in this draft. So they really – here's the key thing, Peter, and I always look at it this way. I look at it like a game of musical chairs. Last year, there were chairs open at the table for these quarterbacks. This year, I just don't see many. So, yes, I think someone trading back – into the 30 spot or the 31 spot. It might sound like a cop-out to those who are obsessed with the mock draft, but it is the most likely theory. Like it, and in case of, say, the L.A. Chargers, everyone's like, you know, they, they might take a quarterback at 28. Okay, so it's the 28th overall pick, and they take a backup for Phillip Rivers. I, I could see that happening. But I mean, to, to start throwing out, you know, four quarterbacks going to the top 10, I just don't see it happening this year. You know why I can't see the Chargers doing that? It seems so ridiculous. Phillip Rivers wants to play at least three more years. That's what he wants to do. Will he? I don't know. So then why do you take a guy who may end up getting Garoppolo'd, you know, and and wasting your pick? Philip Rivers never misses games. Why are you happening? Yeah. Why are you taking a quarterback there? I don't see it, but. You know, a couple of years ago, everyone had, maybe it was last year even, everyone had the Saints taking one of these quarterbacks. And I know there was interest in Mahomes a couple of years ago, or at least that's the report. Drew Brees is still the quarterback. Taysom Hill is a fine backup, and Teddy Bridgewater is an even better one. So, yeah. like, these teams, they very rarely are looking to draft the backup. And even Garoppolo was a mid-second round pick, and that was a rare thing. You don't see, you know, the Patriots every year taking a backup quarterback in the second round. So, I, I don't see it either. I think that they're too close a team, and if it's Week 17 and they're fighting for the AFC West Championship, a, a second-string quarterback's not what's going to get yeah, them off the hop. That's right. Um, I got two more issues right now. Number one, um, you look at the Raiders at 4, 24, and 27. If you have to predict right now, give me some insight, not necessarily on the three guys they're picking, but give me some insight on what the Raiders are going to do Thursday night. Here's what I've been told. I'm told that it's going to be the best defensive player on the board at 4, despite all the smoke you're going to hear about I'm telling you, by the time we get to Thursday, there's going to be a lot of Haskins talk because I just hear already in the scouting community, people texting me saying, uh, what do you believe, Haskins to the Raiders at four? And it hasn't been on the media yet. That's going to start. I don't see it. I think Ed Oliver is a perfect Raider if he's sitting there at four. And if it's not Ed Oliver, I mean, Quinn and Williams somehow saw them. I think that they can't go wrong with either one of those guys. 24 and 27, I think. One of those will be another defensive player. And I wouldn't be shocked if they got the running back out of Alabama Josh Jacobs, or one of these receivers who might slip, whether it be Hollywood Brown or D.K. Metcalf, and, and, and you might say, well, they don't need a receiver. I could just see them getting one of these skill position players, and it might be a tight end. It might be Irv Smith Jr. It might be one of those types, but I'd say two defensive players with Oliver and Williams being the two guys at four, 
And then I would say, uh, you know, one offensive player that can play right away next year. Yeah, I think they're going to, if they want to be sure they get Jacobs, and let me tell you something right now. John Gruden, when he said, hey, Mayock, don't screw it up, and Mayock relayed that at his press conference, basically. Uh, It's funny, we laugh, but I hear that the apple of John Gruden's eye is Josh Jacobs. And when I heard that, I said, okay. That's why I said it. Yeah. I've heard the same thing. Yeah. And you and, and I rarely hear things from people that are leading us astray on that kind of deal. Yeah, well, Mayock, and I think Mayock may have to trade up, which, uh, which is what I had. But anyway, we'll see. Um, and then the last thing. Look, I could ask you about 48 things, but I know there's one thing that you know that nobody else knows. There's one hmm. thing that Peter Schrager is going to tell America on Wednesday morning when America is driving to work and they are listening to my podcast or they have found a way to listen to Good Morning Football in their cars (laughs) on the way to work. And you're going to tell them something that they don't know. And I want to know what that is right now. Yeah, you know, if you want the big splash, I think it's not going to come from me on this one. I think Bosa goes too to San Francisco. I think that's one thing I I know. Feel pretty good about that. I think Murray goes one. And I would say this: when you're looking at teams eight through not eight, nine, and maybe twelve, thirteen, I could see Detroit trade back. I could see Buffalo trade back. I could see a lot of these teams trading back. I think the top ten is where you're going to see a lot of chalk, and the teams are going to use those picks. I think from Eight to 25, it might get completely blown up. You can rip up your mock draft, and it's going to be all sorts of different trades. My one last point, Peter, which I think you could probably attest to, there might not be a wide receiver taken in the top 20, and there might not be one taken in the top 25. There's going to be a run on wide receivers at about 26 to probably about 40, where there's about 10 guys that everyone views as a late first-round, early second-round pick, and once one goes off the board, they're going to go flying. So, that is my one thing I know. The run on wide receivers, probably about 22 to 45. There's going to probably be about 10 guys taken. And it's going to be wild watching them go one by one. I want to hear one name from you on my last question of this conversation. Yeah. You have to go to Vegas tomorrow, and you have to put $5 down on the player who the New England Patriots will take at 32 if they stay. And you're going to put $5 down versus any other player who you can choose in this draft. Who are you putting your $5 on? Six foot three, corner out of Vanderbilt, intelligent as hell, Joe Juan Williams, a big hawking corner who we had on our show and absolutely blew me away. Smart as can be, great personality, and wants to do whatever a team is asking for. He looked like a Patriot the second he walked in. Joe Juan Williams. Vanderbilt. That's my pick. Good. Very good. Listen, Peter Schrager, have a great draft. Enjoy yourself. I'll be listening. I'll be watching. Love it. Can't wait to have you back on the show when you're in New York, and we'll do it right after that. Support for the Peter King Podcast comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. You want even more for your website? 
you can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website, so create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Peter King to get 10% off. You'll be glad you did. And now my conversation with Jeff Legwald of ESPN.com. So welcome back to the Peter King Podcast. So happy to be joined right now by Jeff Legwald of ESPN.com. Jeff's day job is that he covers the Denver Broncos uh, extremely well. And in his spare time, he finds time to watch 10, 15, 20 games of every college football player in America. I don't know how he does this. I do believe that his days are 69 hours long and mine are 10. But uh, he does a fantastic job. Every year, Jeff puts out his top 100 for the NFL draft. And um, one of the reasons why I wanted to have Jeff on is just really to recognize him for his work. Because what he does when he looks at and, and sort of forms opinions on the top 100 players, this isn't just a blind taste test of players. He knows a lot of people around the league, and he understands what teams in this league like, who they like, the kind of players they like. It isn't just watching players on tape and saying, well, I don't care what the Arizona Cardinals like. I'm going to tell them what's best for them or, or, or anything like that. And so I think he does this not just ranking the players for raw ranking, but also understanding what players are going to fit in NFL systems around the league. Last year, um, Jeff, I believe I'm right in saying this. I said it in my open, so I hope I'm right. You had 85 of 100 players correct in the top 100. Um, and people might say, well, so what? But I think that one of the reasons why this is so tough to do is because everybody's going to get the top 35. I mean, you, you just throw a dart at that. You know who they're going to be. But I want you to tell me how many people are going to get 93 right. How many people are going to get number 82 right? How many people are getting number 96 right? Because, you know, as I said at the top, number 61 on one team's board is number 161 on another team's board. So... Having said all that, welcome to the podcast, and I just want to know a little bit about your methodology in forming your top 100 every year. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. This is awesome. I'm glad to be. Uh, I'm glad to be hooked up with your podcast. That's, this is big time for me. So, uh, I think you know I've I've always I've done this a long time. I think this is the 34th year. I've messed with this in some fashion. Uh, and I think some of it is just because 
uh, I learned a lot of the game through scouts' eyes, and I think sometimes that's uh, a reverse of where some people have learned it, either from coaches or, um, you know, from their own experiences, you know, playing college football or even even pro football for some guys in the media these days. But uh, I, I I learned when I started covering pro football, I learned a lot of this side of the game from scouts. Those were the people I, I saw the most uh, in, in some of the times of the year. So that's always kind of been my viewpoint on things. And I, and I, I call it draft ability. I, I think it's a, I think it's a genuine trait of a player. And I, I think when they talk about traits, they often, it's just, the physical traits, height, weight, speed, arm span, you know, whatever you want to pick, three-cone drill, 40-yard dash, you know, there's all this evaluation of of a player's physical attributes, and it's a huge part of what they are as players. But I, I try to take into account my conversations with college coaches and scouts about, you know, did the guy organize workouts at his school? Was he a leader? Was he on time? And I think those are all elements we may make fun of, but I think I don't think teams make football mistakes very often on the draft board. They they understand the football part, but I think sometimes they don't understand the human element of simply coming to work and trying to improve every day. And and I try to take that into account. It's why I have some players above others, you know, you know, there's the classic case of, you know, so-and-so didn't run very well or, or, or those types of things. But, you know, like a linebacker, you know, maybe he didn't time well in the 40, but all I know is when I look at him on the game video, he tackles all the fast guys. You know, it's, it's one of those things. I, I've tried to make it a whole package that does include What's a guy's draftability, and you know how, what are his chances of being a successful professional? Let me ask you to take one of those factors that you learned this year, one of those sort of way sort of behind-the-scenes factors that you learned this year that might have affected either plus or minus where you put a player, let's say a first-round type prospect, in your top 100? Well, I'll give an example like a quarterback. I like to find out what kinds of off-season workouts and gatherings he organized, he himself organized, because I think that's a big part of the job. Uh, it's one of the reasons last year I, I liked Baker Mayfield so much because it was conveyed to me at the Senior Bowl that uh, he actually organized the quarterbacks and arranged to go in a van with a driver from the Senior Bowl people, and they went to practice an hour early. They were they were at the stadium an hour before practice, just the quarterbacks, and that Mayfield had organized that, and I. To me, that that's beyond. Tell me, tell me about a guy this year who might have either done something like that, and maybe he he improved in your eyes, or was there a guy who maybe was a little bit 
uh, lacking or a little bit wanting in his uh, in his verve for the position and the work. Yeah. You know, I, I think this year one of those guys on the board, athletically he's tremendously gifted, but, but Josh uh, Allen is the, the Kentucky edge rusher. I'd love him as a leader, you know, a, a multi-year starter, a team captain. I mean, those things to me, uh, I really, you know, and, and I saw, you see what he can do on the field, no question. But the more I found out about him, you know, how he handled himself around his teammates, his approach to the game, how he works, I mean, I he was already a great prospect, but I really uh, – moved him up because I, I just, I like those qualities and those are the qualities that carry you. I mean, I, I think any player with a lot of abilities is, is going to work on the physical elements of the game. I, I think they will do that most of the time, but I think your ability to excel as a pro comes from how do you interact with your teammates? Uh, you know, are you a guy who keeps the team helpful? Or, you know, he helps keep the team pointed in the right direction because football is a group activity, and the most talented team doesn't win all the time. It's the, it's the best group. And I think it's really important how people fit into the group and, and work in that dynamic. So he was a player this year I really liked uh, what, I, what I heard from him myself and what I found out from other people and just what I saw – on a, in his work in game. So, you know, to me, he's, he's one of the safest sort of picks on the board across the, the gamut of what you like. And, you know, I, I just think he's one of those guys, you know, and, uh, and, and I know he's way up the board, but that, that was one of the guys that really struck me this year. Okay. So I'm going to talk about three players and then I'm going to literally kind of just say, okay, Jeff, direct the conversation. Let's talk about some guys who you really like, who we haven't talked about, and maybe you're not getting talked about a lot in this draft, okay? Um, I want to talk about what you wrote about Jonah Williams, all right? So I had a scout tell me last week that he thought Jonah Williams was okay. If he was at Vanderbilt, he'd be a mid-second round pick, you know, that he really got a lot out of being at Alabama, blah, 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 and you know that. There's always a debate whether guys get puffed up for being Alabama or Clemson guys. And, you know, Alabama's recent history in the draft has not been phenomenal. Uh, but but anyway, be that as it may, um, I want to read what you wrote about Jonah Williams, who you have ranked as the fifth player in your top 100. And, in fact, <laughs> I do the, indeed. the top offensive player in the draft. When I saw that, my false teeth fell on the ground. But here's exactly <laughs> what you said. Jonah Williams, offensive tackle, Alabama. Come on. Am I really saying Williams is the top-ranked offensive player on this board? Yes. In the deepest defensive line draft in years, including SEC edge rushers like Josh Allen and Montez Sweat, Williams did not surrender a sack in 2018. Alabama coaches told scouts he missed three assignments in 920 snaps at left tackle all season. So 
I read that because, you know, I learned something in there. I learned, you know, against uh, a pretty good schedule, obviously, uh, that this guy had a phenomenal season protecting Tua Tagovailoa. And so I want you to tell me what really attracted you to Jonah Williams. Just his, uh, I think two things. If you're not going to, if you're going to pitch a shutout in sacks at left tackle in that conference, and I've seen a lot of SEC football over the years, and it is a, it is a speed league. It always has been and always will be probably for the foreseeable future. You know, small linebackers, quality edge rushers, highly paid defensive coordinators with good plans. Uh, I think it's a difficult league, and – I, he is a guy who plays in a multifaceted pro-style offense with agility. You can tell he has great awareness when he plays. He sees where the trouble's coming from. Uh, he sees the extra rusher when they're trying to hide him on his side. Uh, his pass sets are just immaculate for a guy his age. Now, you know, it doesn't mean he doesn't have work to do and all of that. I get it. But for a guy his age... His pass sets are are ahead uh, of schedule. I've of, never of heard. I've never it. heard somebody's pass set being called immaculate. It's very church like, I mean, Jeff. Just, <laughs> <laughs> his feet are in the. Well, it was Easter weekend? I guess I. Should <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, he's just he, he and he has the and it's hard to quantify and i know we are in the age of analytics and I, and i think they're wonderful tools on so many levels but there are parts of the game that are just about awareness what do you see and do you understand it when you see it and to me he's one of those players when he looks out there when he comes up out of his stance he can uh, he can look at the information he has in front of him and he can digest it quickly and make decisions. And that's what I like about him because that's a pro left tackle in the making. Now, you know, there are no guarantees, you know, we, uh, I've had very strong opinions about players and it has not worked out, but I just think when I watched him play, he's, he was what I, I like him in a tackle prospect and, I just thought he, against the best competition, he played at an elite level, and I don't know how you can dispute that in any fashion. And I've even had scouts tell me, I don't agree with where you have him, but I do agree that, you know, they've said, I they do agree that he played at an elite level against elite competition. Number 20, Kyler Murray, quarterback, Oklahoma. Murray doesn't need to run a 40-yard dash to show scouts he's fast. He is a breathtaking athlete. Murray has a quality arm, good work in big moments, and plays with composure. But he might not get the patience needed from the team that drafts him. He needs time to diagnose coverages and moves to create throwing lanes. Now, there aren't many people who cover the NFL draft this year who have DeAndre Baker, a cornerback from Georgia, (laughs) rated ahead of Kyler Murray, who is America's darling. So 
I just wonder, give me your view on Murray. Uh, he's, he's an unprecedented prospect, Peter. Uh, we, you know, the, the draft, the people who've been in pro football for their adult lives have not had to consider a prospect like him very often, if ever. You're talking about a guy who's going to be a first-round pick in two sports, a breathtaking athlete, like I said, uh, who can do things uh, very few people in the in the universe could do. So at that level, you know, he is a spectacular first-round pick. It's my question is, 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 is really about is he going to be allowed to develop the parts of his game that need developing? And, uh, you know, they can't go or we haven't seen it yet. We have not seen anybody succeed in the NFL going all in on sort of the uh, air raid type offenses. Now, I know Oklahoma's is different because there's a, a power running component there a lot of schools don't don't use in, in that scheme. But he is going to have to find a way to deal with 6'6 defensive tackles that he has not seen before. Uh, compressed pockets, uh, contested throws, uh, all of those things. And I'm not sure if you watch all of his game video from this past season, you don't see many contested throws, and I think that is a young quarterback's frontier. Those are the ones they have to learn to make and and sort of get past the mistakes when when they don't go correctly. So that that's my... That was my issue, not issue, but that's why I put him where he is. I think if you're grading where he has to take his game to be successful, uh, I think that's where he belongs. You know, the middle of the first round or, or down a little from there. Now, he's not going to go there because there's always been two draft boards in history. There's the regular draft board and there's the quarterback board, and that's always the way it's going to be there. They're always drafted well ahead of their grades. It's always been that way, and it, that's just how it is. The position's in too high a demand. So I think teams actually have him graded down a little bit from where he'll be picked, and that's just a fact. I, I think they had Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen and, and guys last year, Josh Allen. I think they those players were all from – I talked to – somebody from every team at some point, they, they were all graded in most cases below their draft spot because they were their quarterbacks. So I think Kyler's, he's one of the, the best players in this draft, but I think if you're just stacking them by grade and what you think they can be, I think there's a lot more room for work he's going to have to put in that a lot of people are talking about. And, and I just think you have to, account for that in some fashion number 45 daniel jones quarterback duke jones is a three-year starter who has been well schooled by duke coach david cutcliffe whom peyton and eli manning have repeatedly touted as quarterbacks coach jones works progressions better than most in this quarterback class and might have had more passes dropped than any passer on the board he will have to dial back some of the risky throws Now, so this is what is interesting to me. Over the weekend, the player I heard about when I was making my calls 
you know, late last week over the weekend. And I originally was not all that impressed. I mean, Daniel Jones, a 17 and 19 record at Duke and, and, and all this. And I'm, I, I know quarterback wins are not the biggest thing, obviously, but I was skeptical about Daniel Jones. And yet everybody is telling me, oh my God, I love Daniel Jones, smartest guy uh, on all this stuff. And so I ended up giving him to the Giants, you know, in the first round. So you're not quite smitten with Daniel Jones. In fact, you have him rated behind Chancey Gardner Johnson, a safety from Florida, I just might add. And so, counselor, it's your witness. <laughs> well, I think, he, again, you're not saying the guy's a bad player. I got him in the, you know, the upper half of the second round. That's, that's quality real estate for picking players in the, in the league. I mean, right, but you uh, know, you know that if you have a quarterback number 45 and right. knowing the value of quarterbacks, even though I, hey, I respect the way you grade your quarterbacks because you, if there's a great center and he's much greater at his position than a very good quarterback, you're going to have the center higher, and I respect that. It doesn't mean that's where he's going to be drafted. It just means no, that no. that's how you grade him as yeah. a player. But but anyway, the Jones thing, there's got to be some things that you're having some questions about with Daniel Jones. Oh, certainly. You you always uh, wonder. I mean, the, the, the nagging question on a quarterback is always, if he's so good, he should be able to lift his team yeah. in a lot of situations. And I think that's some of the questions people have with, with Jones is, is they say, I, I think his receiver, and I don't want to say this number is fact because it's the one that sticks in my head right now, but I believe it was over 30 drops this year from his receivers. Wow. Uh, and I think you've got to consider that, but there is always the question of, you know, like when you watched Deshaun Watson in those national championship games, you Clemson was a very talented team, but you were watching a quarterback lift his team in the biggest moments, uh, you know, and watching a guy do it. And I think that's what people want from quarterbacks. I think it's what they expect. And I and there are many in the league and and. Even I saw it sometimes. There were moments in games against opponents I thought he should be able to lift his team against, but it didn't always happen. You know, and I've I've watched David Cutcliffe work for a long time. I was in working in Nashville when he was the offensive coordinator at Tennessee, and when he was the head coach at Ole Miss. So I've, I've seen his offenses up close. I've seen the work he's done with quarterbacks. Uh, so I respect his scheme and I'm familiar with it. So when I see Jones play, that was my question. I, that I wanted to see more from him, you know, not against teams where the talent difference was huge, but there were games they, they could have been better in if he could have lifted his team in those moments just a little more. And I think he took a few too many chances in the red zone and those decisions are exponentially more painful in the NFL. So th th those were my two things uh, with him. As we prepare to wrap up, tell me 
a couple of things that I should ask you and have not asked you about what you feel very strongly about entering this draft, both on players in the top 100 or on teams in the in the in the draft and what you think might happen. And I hate to ask you such an open-ended question, but one of the things <laughs> I like to ask people sometimes is, okay, is there is there something you'd like to say or is there something you no. think I forgot to ask you? And I know that there's 94 things that you know right now that I have no <laughs> clue about, so I just like to know I want to I want to download your brain right now and pick out a couple of other good nuggets. Well, Peter, you know, I, I love asking people at the end of every interview, is there something I forgot? And, and that's often the best <laughs> That's often the best answer I get in the whole interview, so I respect that uh, immensely that <laughs> you said that. But uh, I, would, I think people should watch for, watch for draft decisions that look like they're made for marketing purposes because they never work out. And, and you know, you've got to be – you got to make sound football decisions about human beings. So you got to take into account who's going to come to work every day. And I think, again, to me, that's where the mistakes are made. And that's uh, and watch how many teams take a chance with multiple players in their draft class who are like one-year starters. I don't. I think you can do that once in a while, but. If you draft for trait only, physical traits only, you're, my experience is you're often disappointed more than you are happy. So I think you got to look at guys' resumes. And, uh, you know, I, I think technique and the, you know, personal habits are draft traits too, as much as speed, height, arm span, the rest of it. I think those two things are our traits and the teams that stick to that uh, succeed more. And I, uh, I think, you know, worthy of watching, uh, I think the most player with the most intrigue around him is Jeffrey Simmons this year. You know, he's had the off the field incident before he went to Mississippi state. It was caught on video. Uh, It's very much like the Kareem hunt video. Uh, I think as soon as he is drafted, that video will soon be played on network TV and the team that picks them is going to have to have a response ready for that because there are scouts who believe he is a top four player on this board and he's also coming off an ACL tear. So I think he's the one player I think uh, could be, you know, the sort of the, the talked about or, or, or a bigger discussion about what, teams are looking for and what they're willing to do to draft players and even things as you know as big and as general as second chances and and you know doing better with your life and all those things i think jeffrey simmons represents that big discussion for whatever team takes him you know what's so interesting about simmons that i was told that yes uh, he absolutely, even with this injury, should be picked in the first round. And I ended up just dumping him in the first round, very late in the round. But but I think one of the interesting things about Simmons is at the NFL meetings this year, the owners uh, and the coaches and GMs in a general session heard a very, um, a very I don't want to say stark, but heard a very pointed presentation 
about uh, what's happening right now in our society with domestic violence and uh, also the reoccurrence of domestic violence, you know. And if you're going to bring somebody on your team, you have to be extraordinarily confident that this person um, is not going to do this again. And so I think that probably is ringing in the ears of some teams in the NFL uh, and who knows what what it will mean. Um, I want to ask you just specifically about one other player who I think is fascinating, and that's Montez Sweat. And in oh. your in your talks with people around the league, uh, I ended up putting him in my first round, uh, but I would not be surprised if he falls out of the first round. And I want to know what you think his fate is on draft week, draft weekend. Well, Peter, I will say uh, the the opinions are very strong. There's almost no middle ground. There's either the our medical people are okay with him side and then there's the no way i'm i'm we're taking them down or we're pushing them out of the the first round so there there is at least in my discussions with people there hasn't been much middle ground there but the fact they cleared him to work out at the combine was pretty significant because usually if there's a sliver of doubt there they don't let uh People participate. I mean, people have been held out of the workouts at the combine for uh, knee injuries that have been discovered, for heart uh, abnormalities. You know what they they don't hear what they want to hear on the stethoscope. Uh, you know, people have long been held out for those things, and uh, you know that 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 is often in Indy. That is often the most significant medical exam a, a person that age has ever had. Uh, when they arrived there. So the fact he participated at the combine has had some impact with the teams I've spoken to. Some teams are willing uh, to consult their medical people. I think Montez is sweat. Uh, I think, I think his representatives have been sort of aggressive in getting a message out that they think he's uh, ready to roll, but it, it will have an impact on his standing. But, you know, he only needs one team to have kept him, on the board where he where he was, which is likely top ten somewhere, uh, I still think he has a chance uh, of going not only in the first round but maybe in the upper upper two thirds of the round. I, I think people will see that as value, high value, if their medical people have signed off on on him moving forward. And and again, there are some teams I've talked to that that believe. Uh, medically, it's it's not as big an issue as some have portrayed it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I I'm reminded a couple of weeks ago, or last week, I'm sorry, Forrest Gregg died, and uh, Anthony Munoz, who I knew from my days in Cincinnati, I phoned him to ask him about Forrest Gregg, uh, who was his coach uh, when he entered the National Football League, and I'll never forget. Uh, because I kind of knew this story, the majority of NFL teams failed Anthony Munoz on his physical because he had a knee injury. And the Bengals were picking third that year. And I remember vividly when they picked Anthony Munoz, very controversial pick because all these teams had flunked him on the physical. If he didn't go to Cincinnati, there is no telling 
who might have picked Anthony Munoz and where he would have gone. Could he fallen out of the first round? Who knows? But it's a classic case of it only takes one. And yeah. I would just be surprised if there isn't a team somewhere between 10 and 25 who looks at the draft, who looks at his physical ability and says, man, that's too risky for me. There's too many teams right now willing to take big risks like that. So anyway, we'll see what happens. No, it's, it's certainly, you know, and Peter, even John Elway tells a story that uh, back then in 83, you know, they had regional combines. So he is in Seattle and his dad actually tells him, you leave that, don't let them look at your knee. And he left. He, he never was examined before that draft. And they were worried enough about his knee then that his dad told him to leave the regional combine in, in Seattle. There was a uh, some kind of awards banquet there that Elway was attending, and, and the thought was, well, as long as he's there, he can go to the regional combine and get checked out uh, you know, by the doctors, and his dad told him to leave. So, yeah, I mean, it, I don't think there's any bigger divergent of opinions about anything in the draft than there is about health issues, injury issues. I think the medical staffs can be widely, uh, widely different opinions, and that often impacts where guys go. Jeff Legwald, such a pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, really appreciate all of your knowledge. I kept you longer than I said I would, but I just wanted to keep listening to you. We could do, we could actually do a ten-part Jeff Legwald series podcast. <laughs> And every football nerd in America would be riveted. And uh, I just want to say thank you. I appreciate you so much, Peter. And I, uh, you know, we've known each other a long time, and I, I think you're spectacular, and it's been my pleasure. Well, I am spectacular, but thank you for pointing it out to America. Jeff, thanks so much, and have a great draft. Thank you. Thanks to my guests, Peter Schrager and Jeff Legwald. If you enjoyed these conversations... Be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my podcast series, such as my conversations with Tom Brady, Roger Goodell, and Adam Schefter. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King Podcast on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsor, Wix. Please support Wix the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you with a special draft review podcast next week.